Amen. I want to invite you uh, to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus chapter one in particular. Um, This morning we begin what will be a pretty long walk through the book of Exodus. And before we begin, I want to just give you just two brief uh, pastoral thoughts as to why Exodus right now. Um, First of all, uh, one of the things I think that's so beautiful about this book is that it gives us a basic sketch and outline of so much of the Bible's themes, particularly the way the Bible speaks of the good news of Jesus. The gospel is put for us in the scriptures in Exodus terms. You might not necessarily realize that, but these words like salvation, redemption, a friend of mine says all the shuns, their basic shape begins to be found in Exodus. You might even say Exodus forms the foundation of all these things. Thank you, whoever that was <laughs> in the back. I think what's also interesting, and, and we had planned to preach through Exodus in 2024 years ago. But it is interesting at this time in Grace Fellowship's life where there's a lot of change and transition and we're seeking God's direction one step at a time for where he'd have us be and what he'd have us be. It's just a beautiful thing in his providence that we land on this book of Exodus at a time like this, and I'm thankful. Uh, I'll mention one thing I hadn't thought to say yet, but um, I'm just really thankful for, for Jeremy and the way he leads us. I mean, so many of the songs we just sung and will continue to sing have some Exodus themes to them. And Jeremy does just such a good job of, uh, of just shaping our worship. So I'm so thankful for him um, in that. So we're going to read from Exodus chapter 1. And, um, and we'll pair this reading with a reading from the opposite testament, as is our custom. In this case, it'll be from the Gospel of Matthew. So would you listen closely and carefully to this God's word, Exodus chapter 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter 
with hard service. In mortar, in brick, and in all kinds of work in the field, in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. And then in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, these are Jesus' words in verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in your kindness and in your mercy, Lord, we ask by the power of your spirit that you would do the thing that only you can do. And that is, by the power of your spirit, would you make these words in your word come alive? Lord, by the power of your spirit, would you shine light on them? Would you shine light in the places in our hearts where the light needs to be shown? And Lord, would you use them to give us great hope and confidence this morning in our Lord Jesus? And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. So when I read these first verses of the book of Exodus, I already know what you were thinking. You were thinking of that song. That song that was recorded on May 4th, 1979. The song that was recorded on May 4th, 1979 in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, of all places. And you were thinking of the song that was recorded on May 4th, 1979 in Muscle Shoals, Alabama under Columbia Records by Bob Dylan. And the song is called, You Gotta Serve Somebody. But in case that's not what you were thinking, uh, this song, Dylan writes, and he basically says, whether you're young or old or rich or poor, high class, lower class, powerful or not powerful, you're going to have to serve somebody. And I would tell you that that sentiment sits at the background of the beginning of the book of Exodus. Israel the people of God, they're going to have to serve somebody. But the question is, who is it that they will serve? See, right now, they have to serve Pharaoh. But the movement of the book of Exodus is to lead them out of service to Pharaoh into service to the Lord. See, it's actually the same question that sits behind your life too. You're gonna have to serve somebody. Bob Dylan says it might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. See, the question is not if you will serve somebody. The question is who is it that you will serve? The question is, will that burden be upon you? Will it be heavy leading to bitterness, or will it be light leading to joy? 
The question is, will that service be fulfilling and life-giving or will it drain your soul? The question is not whether you'll have to serve somebody or not. The question is, will that task lead to death or to life? The question is, will that service enslave you deeper or will it set you freer and freer? Now, the good news of the gospel, and this is the main thing I want you to hear this morning. If you don't hear anything else I say, this is what I want you to hear. Our Lord, our Lord intends to set you It is the good news of the gospel. He intends to set you free. But as we unfold what exactly that means in this story, I want to do three things with you. Part one of this sermon, this is your outline in advance to help you follow where this thing is going. Part one of the sermon will talk about these first verses and the way in which we see the promises of God unfolding. Part two will deal with the way in which Pharaoh makes the people of Israel's life bitter with heavy burdens. And we'll talk about that. And then part three will be a few questions that I have for you and for me in order to aim this at our hearts. So let's begin together. Part one here, the promises of God. Will you look with me at verse one of Exodus 1? These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob with each of his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now, this is the storyteller's way of connecting this book of Exodus, this new story we're going to get with the book of Genesis. If you remember in the book of Genesis... Um, The book of Genesis unfolds. I'm gonna give you a very quick summary of the book of Genesis. God creates the world and everything in it. He creates it good. He creates people who are made in his image. Therefore, they have the unique capability of living for him in a way that no other created thing can. These people choose their own way. They rebel against their creator and the whole universe comes under a curse. And all seems lost except for the fact that God makes a promise that one day a descendant would come who would crush the power of the serpent. And again, all hope seems lost. But then God makes a promise to a man named Abraham. And he says that that descendant that I promised way back in chapter three, so to speak, he's actually gonna come through your line. You will have a son. That son is Isaac, and that that Isaac has a Jacob, and this Jacob has 12 sons. The youngest, of course, is Joseph. And in a very strange twist in the story, the other brothers sell Joseph into slavery. That really happened, Henry. And, And he goes out into slavery in Egypt, 
And there's a famine in the land and all the brothers have to come to Egypt to seek. They're, they're kind of like economic refugees because of the, the famine. They have no food. They have, so they, they flee to Egypt in order to live. And they find out late in the story that their brother Joseph, the one they sold, has become a ruler in Egypt. And therefore, they're safe. The storyteller here in Exodus wants us to now connect the Exodus story with all of those events. The, the, the writer of Exodus is trying to tell us that those promises of God are being fulfilled. Because now this tribe of, of brothers and all of their families have now grown to 70 persons. Yes, Joseph dies, but they continue to increase in number, verse seven. They're multiplying greatly, growing exceedingly strong. All the promises of God from Genesis have been fulfilled and are being fulfilled, but here's the strange part. They're being fulfilled in all places in Egypt. This is counterintuitive, it's strange, and it's a good time to tell you that the fulfillment of God's promises will often come to us in surprising ways. I wonder if you have experienced that in your own life. The fulfillment of God's promises often come to us in surprising ways, and the surprising way in this story is that they're happening, they're unfolding, and they're unfolding in all places in Egypt. And then verse eight begins the story proper. Look at verse eight. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now whenever in Old Testament stories, in in Old Testament narratives, whenever you get a, a sentence that begins with the word now in this way. So for example, it says, now there arose a new king in Egypt. Or if you think back in the book of Genesis, now the serpent was more crafty than the other beasts of the field. Or perhaps you get these other now phrases in these ways. It's the Old Testament's story. It's the Old Testament story's way of signaling this is an important development in this story. Pay attention to what's about to unfold. Whenever you see it's in English, it'll say now. Imagine like arrows pointing to it. Pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. And and in this case, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And in the biblical Old Testament sense, to know someone or to know something has a lot um, less to do with a general familiarity, but more an intimate knowledge. So this new king, it's not necessarily that he's never heard of the guy Joseph who's now dead, but he did not know him, meaning he doesn't care about Joseph and Joseph's offspring. He doesn't know him in the deepest way. So here's what he decides to do. Because the people of Israel are growing and increasing in number, he feels threatened by that. The promises of God are coming true, and it becomes a threat to this king in Egypt, Pharaoh. So in verse 10, what he decides to do is to deal shrewdly and to enslave them. This is part two where we talk about these heavy burdens. 
Look at verse 11. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. If you go down to verse 13, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and they made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and in brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So what's interesting is this word work and this word serve, it's the same word. So here's how you could read it in verse 13. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel serve as slaves. And they made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and in brick and in all kinds of service in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them serve as slaves. See, the question underneath this passage is, who are they going to serve? And the painful reality is they are serving Pharaoh. And it's hard And it is bitter. This is another important word that's gonna show up in the book of Exodus several times. Bitterness. The book of Exodus is gonna lay, I'm getting way ahead of us. This is probably something I'll have to say in like May. But the book of Exodus is gonna lay out a choice. You can follow the Lord and have sweetness or you can reject him and have bitterness. And that's the choice. So it's heavy burden, it is bitter, but it is service. Service, 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 service. Who is Israel going to serve? And here's where it starts to get really interesting. See, the Lord from this point is going to lead his people out of Egypt and into freedom. Because if you remember, it is the Lord's intention to set his people free. But it's interesting that the way in which the Lord begins to talk about this. So for example, in chapter three, the Lord will appear to Moses in a burning bush and the Lord will say, you're gonna go to Pharaoh and tell them to let my people go so that they can serve me on this mountain. Moses will go to Pharaoh and he'll indeed say, let my people go so they can serve me me. So the movement of this passage is from service to Pharaoh to service to the Lord. And here's why. Because that is what freedom really means. To move from service that is bitter and heavy to move to service to the Lord. That is how the Bible would define freedom. And I'm gonna belabor this point because it's really important because our world defines freedom exactly opposite of that. See, our world defines freedom as being unrestricted from any kind of constraint so you can do you. And the Bible has a word for that, that attitude of shucking off all restraints in order to just be you, do you. 
The Bible has a word for that way of thinking and living, and it's called slavery. A scholar of the book of Exodus says that this is, the book of Exodus is not going to be a declaration, declaration of independence. It is going to become a declaration of dependence on the Lord because that is freedom. That's what freedom is. That's how the Bible understands freedom. I mean, think of the first words of this Heidelberg Catechism and a confession of faith that was written in the 16th century. What is your only hope in life and in death? The first words, that I'm not my own. So we live in a world that says you are your own, do your own thing, and the Bible says that leads to death, and it is too heavy of a burden to bear. It is bitterness. And Israel's gonna be tempted throughout this story to go back to service in Egypt. They're gonna somehow wish sometimes they could get back to Egypt under that bitter service rather than into the freedom of serving the Lord. They're gonna want to wander back there again. And the question is, why would they do that? And the answer is, well, you tell me. Isn't that the general move of our souls too? I can think of this time where Early in my ministry career, I sat down with a college student. I was on this particular campus, and this college student was sort of living in freedom, sort of indulging every sinful pleasure, unconstrained, unfettered that he could think of. And he was kind of talking about it in such prideful terms because he had finally shucked off all the whatever so he could be free. And I remember walking back to my car that day and I actually had tears in my eyes because I knew that the end of that road would be bitterness. I heard a story recently of a, of a man who's leaving his family because of sinful pleasure. And he thinks he's gonna become more free. He won't. His life will grow more bitter. So the promises of God are unfolding. And there are heavy burdens placed on the people of God. But the Lord intends to set his people free from service to Pharaoh to service to the Lord, because that is freedom. So I wanna end this morning by trying to aim this at your heart a little more directly. If you are here this morning, you're going to have to serve somebody. You're gonna have to serve somebody. And the question will be, will that service make you more alive or will that service be so heavy? And I wonder this morning, if you were to be honest, who is it or what is it that you walked in this morning serving? Because there are a lot of options on the table for who you're gonna serve. Maybe a diagnostic tool to assess 
Who is it or what is it that you serve? Maybe this, what gives you most joy? What helps you feel most secure? What helps you feel most at ease and at peace? Because whatever that is, is the thing you're serving. And the question becomes, is it too heavy for you to bear? And is it leading to bitterness? Or is something else possible? So for example, lots of us put myself in this category. We wake up in the morning inclined to serve ourselves. And that is hard service. And it will only leave you ever more empty. You'll never be more empty than you will feel when you serve yourself. You know, maybe it's serving some sense of security. I remember a conversation with somebody one time about the amount of money in their bank account. And they were nervous and fretful because they felt like they didn't have enough. And I said, well, how much would need to be enough? Like, literally, give me a number. And they look at me kind of confused. I'm like, seriously, what's a number? They're like, I don't know more than I have right now. Then I'd really feel secure. Well, how much? See, that's hard service. And it won't be enough. But on the contrary, when we give to others, then you feel more full. It might be some sort of sinful pleasure. You know what that looks like in your own life. It's a heavy burden. And it will drain your soul dry. You might not be able to imagine the possibility of greater freedom, but I'm telling you it's possible. It, it might be, and this is something I see in me. I see all these things in me. But I don't know. Do y'all know what I mean? Like this, this sense that, that you just have to stay ahead, just one step ahead. If I can just get one step ahead in planning and preparation and whatever everybody else needs around me, if I can just kind of stay on top of the tasks, then I'll feel like I can breathe. There's a heavy, heavy, heavy burden. And you'll always feel behind. Maybe the recognition of others, it's hard service and it will never be enough. When you get the recognition of others, you're gonna wonder, but why did they say it that way? I wonder what they really meant. I wonder if they really understand. I wonder if it won't be enough. This is, there's a novelist who points this out. If you worship beauty and in fitness, you will always feel ugly. It's hard service. If you, if you serve your career, it's hard service because you'll actually actively resent your job. Isn't that crazy how that works? If you worship the approval of others, can't ever seem to get it. It's a heavy burden. I don't know about you, but a series of questions like that leave one's soul feeling somewhat exposed. 
Now that's the feeling I had inside my own soul as I wrote them. But here's the good news of the gospel. The Lord intends to set you free. This is gonna be something we'll continue to come to week after week after week. But when Jesus arrives on the scene in the gospel stories, his ministry is first announced in Exodus terms. See, in the gospel of Matthew as one particular example, Jesus will have to flee into Egypt to to escape the the, the murderous ambition of a, of a king. He'll have to escape to Egypt. He'll be led out of Egypt. He'll have to cross the waters at his baptism. He'll have to make it through the wilderness. He'll go up on a mountain in order to teach his disciples. He'll call 12 of them to them. Jesus' story literally unfolds as if it's Israel's story, but truer and better. And, and when he begins his ministry, he says that his ministry is going to be about, and this is, Gospel of Luke in particular, setting captives free. And the rest of the New Testament, as it unfolds the work of Jesus on behalf of people like you and me who tend to serve the wrong things, as it unfolds the work of Jesus on people like our behalf, it will begin to talk in terms of the Lord is trying to move you from slave to sin and death and evil into being a servant of Jesus. See, it's who are we going to serve? And then in the sweetest stroke of good news of the morning, it's Jesus who says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Why, Jesus? Why? Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I wonder what it'll look like this morning for you to turn. I wonder what it'll look like for you this morning to take hold of the easy yoke of Jesus. It doesn't mean it will be easy, but it means service to Jesus will make you feel ever more free. Maybe this morning you just need to hear that you can be more free than you think.